Well, turning your Bibles to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, we're continuing, of course, our study of the gospel of Matthew. Matthew presents Jesus Christ as the King of the Jews. We've been seeing that all the way through, verse by verse, passage by passage. We're right at the end. We're now in chapter 28. We've seen the death of our Savior. We've seen his burial. And then last time, we saw the empty tomb. Women came out of the tomb. It was empty. Angels told them that he was risen from the dead. Well, as we continue this morning, we're going to see the appearances of Jesus Christ. He is risen, just as he said. He said he was going to die and rise again. This is it. He is the Son of God who is victorious over death. In this morning's passage, we're going to see the first two appearances after the resurrection, and the, the tomb is empty. Angels have declared it. We're going to see that Mary Magdalene is in the garden. She actually sees her Savior face to face. She's the first person to see the risen Lord. Also, there are some other women. We'll see that as well. And so, the first two appearances are to the women. What is their reaction, and what are they supposed to do? And we'll see that as we go through it. As we begin, let's just raise this question. What is the basis for our authority? I mean, where do we go for truth? We live in a world that there's not really any truth, and they, don't, they say things like there's no such thing as absolute truth and things like that. They'll say that uh, each person must decide for themselves what they think is right and determine right from wrong. We know it's a sad world when you get to that because it leads to despair and chaos. There is a place that we can go for truth, and that is the Word of God. John 17, 17 says, Thy Word is truth. And we can go through the Bible, and that gives us the truth about, about anything. And as we look at it, we see those truths. Second Timothy says also, Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for us. It is the basis for our authority. Now, let me just say this. Jesus Christ said, here's the word of God. He said, I will go to Jerusalem. I will be killed. And after three days, I will rise again. We saw that was true. We saw he went to Jerusalem, that he was handed over, they killed him, and now he is raised from the dead three days later. It's an empty tomb. The women have come out there. The soldiers got scared when the angel came, moved the stone, and they ran away. And the women have, have been there. Now, we're going to see what happens. And as we continue this morning, we're going to see the resurrection. And we're going to have to go to several other places. Matthew is emphasizing, at least last week in those first eight first seven or eight verses, he's emphasizing the empty tomb. Now, what's amazing is so far, we've not seen him. Mary's going to be in the garden. There's going to be some women on the way to disciples, and we'll see that. Let me give you a slide. This is just the morning, resurrection morning. There's going to be more. There's going to be things that happened in the afternoon. There's going to be things that happened at night, and there's going to be things that happened in the other days. But I just want to remind you of the flow. First of all, the stone was moved. There was an earthquake. Angels came, and the guards fainted. Then Mary Magdalene and Mary, another Mary, and then Salome and another woman possibly came. They came to the tomb. When they came there, they, find, they found that the stone had been moved away. The guards were gone. Mary Magdalene, as they looked into the tomb, they didn't see anyone at all. So Mary Magdalene leaves those other women and runs to tell Peter and John that somebody has taken the body. While Mary was gone, an angel appeared to those other women and told them that Jesus was alive and go tell the disciples. Meanwhile, Peter and John arrive and they see the empty tomb. In fact, they actually go into the empty tomb. And they don't see him, but the tomb is empty. Then we're going to see that Mary Magdalene returns, and while she's at the tomb, Jesus appears to her. And that's the first one. That number seven there is the first appearance of Jesus Christ after his death and resurrection. Then after that, we're going to see that Jesus appears to the women, the other women, the ones that had been at the tomb. They're on the way to tell the disciples that the angel had told them that he was alive. Well, they meet Jesus on the way. We're going to see, and we'll see more of this next week, that the soldiers go to the chief priest and tell them 
that an angel came, the stone was moved away, the, the tomb was empty, and they passed out. And the, the chief priest said, you can't do that because then they'll think he's risen from the dead. So they made up a story and they bribed the soldiers to tell that the soldiers were asleep and they came and stole the body while he was asleep. Now that's, all of this happened that morning, what we call Sunday morning, Easter morning, that, that's the morning. Now, let me give you, I just put this up and don't write all this down or anything, we'll get it all. But this is the, these are the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus Christ. As you go through the scripture, here's what you find. You find, first of all, he appeared to Mary Magdalene. That's in John chapter 20. Then he appeared to the woman as they came from the tomb. We're going to see that this morning. Then he appears to Peter, Luke 24, 34. There's no record of it. It doesn't say what Jesus did. It just says that Jesus appeared to Peter. Then there are two disciples, two people. They're walking on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus appears to them. Then later that night, or at a time, 10 disciples were together. Thomas was not there, and Jesus appeared. Thomas came and said, what happened? They said, we saw him. And he said, I didn't see him. He said, well, we saw him. He said, well, I'm not going to believe till I see him. Eight days later, he appears again to all 11 of the disciples. Thomas is there. Then later on, there are seven disciples who go to the Sea of Galilee to go fishing. That's in John 21, and he appears to them then. Then there's another time where the apostles actually come to a mountain in Galilee, and we're not sure, but there's a place, and we don't know if this was the time or not, but there's a place where there are over 500 people saw him at one time. And then it says later on that James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, that he appeared to them. He's, uh, he appeared to him. That was found in 1 Corinthians 15, 7. And then as the disciples got together, when Jesus left from the Mount of Olives in Acts chapter 1, he ascended from he- into heaven from the Mount of Olives, and they saw him there. So those are the appearances. Now, there, uh, Paul later on says that he appeared to, to him. That, and and we, we don't know exactly when or where, but Jesus appeared even to Paul. Paul says that I saw him as well. So that's, that's the, kind of the flow. Let me give you the outline of our passage. We're going to see, see Peter and John. They go to the tomb. That's John 20, basically 1 through 10. We'll see it very quickly. And then we see Jesus appears to Mary. And at first, she doesn't even know it's Jesus. And we'll talk about that. And then later, he appears to the, to, to the women and tell them to go, to go tell the disciples. So what, it's just an amazing thing that Jesus' first appearance is to the women. They were the ones that traveled with him. They were the ones that ministered to him. They were the ones that loved him. They were the ones at the foot of the cross. They were the ones that watched where he was buried. They're the ones that are going out to anoint his body. And so he appears to them. So let's kind of get a, just a brief review. Look back at Matthew Matthew 24, excuse me, Matthew 28, verse, the first four verses, says this. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the tomb. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us, everybody, but we know from one of the other Gospels that uh, a lady named Salome came, and then we can look at one of the other Gospels. It appears that there were at least four women who came. And it says that a severe earthquake had occurred for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and set upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, his clothing was white as snow. Angels are very powerful beings. We find out that the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. They all fainted and they got up and left. Best we can tell, they got up and ran away. So the ladies come out there. They had been talking on the way. How are they going to move away the stone because the stone is really big and heavy? And they were saying, when we get there, we want to anoint the body, but how are we going to move away the stone? When they get there, the stone is moved away. The guards have all been run off and they look inside. Now what we can see 
the best we can tell is they looked inside, they stooped down to look inside, and there's no body in there. There's, the body is not there. And you can't tell here, but uh, Mary Magdalene then left. When she saw that the body was gone, she thinks somebody has stolen the body. So she runs as fast. She's going to go and tell Peter, and, and actually she's going to tell Peter and John. So she leaves. While she's gone, and we saw this last week, while she's gone, the other women, I think we think there's three of them, are at the tomb just waiting there, and an angel comes and says, what do you, don't be afraid. We know you're looking for Jesus. He's been crucified. We saw this last week. He's not here. He's risen from the dead. Come see where he was lying. And then said, basically said, go tell the others. So Mary Magdalene is going to get Peter and John, but these three ladies, they've actually heard from angels that he has risen from the dead. So they haven't seen him, though, but they know it. So they're about to take off, and they're about to go tell some of the other disciples. Meanwhile, remember, Mary Magdalene is going to get Peter and John. So let's hold our place in Matthew and turn to John chapter 20. So go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and get to John chapter 20, and we want to see what happened, and we'll see how it, how it, it flows. Just think about this. Mary is on her way, Mary Magdalene is on her way to tell Peter and John that someone has obviously stolen the body, and she's upset about it, and she wants, they got to do something about it. Somebody got the body, and she's not going to put up with that. I mean, that's what she's saying, basically. So let's look at John chapter 20, look at verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, it doesn't tell us, but she knows the body's gone. So what did she do? She ran to Simon Peter and to the other disciple who Jesus loved. Now, the other disciple that Jesus loved, that's John. John calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. I think it's really unusual. He was probably the youngest of the, the disciples, youngest of the apostles, and he said, I'm the one Jesus loved. And that's what he calls himself. And so she came to tell Simon Peter and the other disciple who Jesus loved, and she said to them, look what she says, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. And we don't know where they've laid him. She doesn't say he's risen from the dead. She doesn't say, hey, guess what? I just went out there and he's not there. And so he rose from the grave just like he said he was going to do. That's not what she says at all. She said, they've taken the body away and we don't know what they've done with it. We don't know where they've laid him. She's actually afraid. We're going to see it later. She's, she's afraid they're going to take the body and take it to Gehenna. I'll tell you where Gehenna is in just a minute. And, and she's afraid they've just taken the body off. So look what happens. What, what do you think Peter and John would do? Well, they're going to go see. So it says, so Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb and the two were running together and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. Now, here they are. They're running. Peter gets the head start. He's old. He's running fast. John's the youngest of the disciples and they started out running and it goes on to say, as John wrote, he says, the other, they were running together, but the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter. He's much younger. He runs, and he, and he got to the tomb first. Now, just picture this. He runs, he gets to the tomb, and he stops, and he's finally out of breath, and he looks down in there. And what does he see? Well, look what it says. The two were running, and stooping down and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings laying there, but he didn't go in. He didn't go in. I think he's sort of kind of afraid to go in. And, and I'm not, I, don't, I don't think he knows exactly what to do. So Simon Peter also came. Finally, Simon, who's older, took longer to run there, uh, followed him, and, he, and he, entered, he got there, and he entered the tomb 
and saw the linen wrappings, the linen wrappings laying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place. So you can see John looking in like this. Peter comes up and goes, "I'm getting," and he goes right in, and he sees everything there. He sees the linen, you know. And by the way, if the body had been stolen, it wouldn't be unwrapped like that. I mean, it'd be unusual. And even if it was unwrapped, it wouldn't be in order. It wouldn't be laying in one place and the, and the head part laying in another place all put together. It just wouldn't be that way. And so they're looking at it like something is weird here, you know? And so here is, that's Peter. He's in there and he sees the wrappings and that's John, of course, looking in and, and kind of afraid to go in, not knowing what to do. And then it goes ahead and says in verse eight, so that the, the other disciple who had come to the tomb first, he also entered and he saw and notice what it says. He believed. Now, what did he believe? Did he believe that Jesus had risen from the dead? Did he believe that the empty tomb meant Jesus had risen from the dead? I don't think so. We're going to see by the next verse. I think he thought, yes, they have got the body. Somebody has taken the body. I think that's what he thinks. Look at the next verse. Look at verse 9. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. They didn't put it together. They didn't understand about the resurrection. Let me just say something. They should have. We've got in the Gospel of Matthew five times Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem. We hand it over. I'll be crucified. And three days later, I will rise again. Five different times he told them in the Gospel. We saw it when we looked at the Gospel of Matthew that he's going to die and rise again. They just didn't get it. They didn't understand it. And I think, I think let me just think about it this way. I think they thought it's just too good to be true. It, it can't, can it really be true that he rose from the grave? I mean, they were with him for three, three and a half years. They saw him. They saw him get arrested. They saw him beaten. They, they saw him on the cross. They all ran away and everything. And now they knew that they put him in the grave. And, and for him to be risen from the dead, is that, is that really possible? And is it really true? And sometimes we think about things and we say that just seems too good to be true. I think about this. God says that he works things beyond what we could ask or imagine. He always does things that are almost too good to be true. I want you to think, think about salvation. Doesn't it seem too good to be true? That God would love each one of us so much that Jesus Christ, who is the eternal God, would actually become a person and come to the earth so that he could die on the cross and take our sins, the sins of human beings, on himself, be separated from the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Taking the sin of mankind, paying the sin debt, dying and rising again, conquering death, and then offering to us a gift that you can have eternal life and be with Jesus Christ forever. And what do you have to do? Not you believe. You take the gift. We say that Seems almost too good to be true. I mean, you're telling me that God says all I do is trust in Jesus to get eternal life, that I believe that he will give me eternal life, that he's made a promise to me that whoever believes in him will never perish but have what? Eternal life? That almost seems too good to be true. And there are people all over that think that is too good to be true. And when you tell people that you're saved just by faith alone and Christ alone for eternal life, they say that's too easy, that's not enough. You gotta give your life to Jesus, you gotta serve him, you gotta do what's right, you gotta turn away from your sins. You can't just say, you can't just believe in Jesus and get eternal life. It seems too good to be true. It seems, <coughs> as some people say, seems too easy. It's called grace. God so loved the world, that's us, that he gave his son, that's Jesus, that whoever would believe in him, 
whoever would believe in him would never perish but have eternal life, faith alone, Christ alone for eternal life. I know some people think it's too good to be true. It is true, and it's the only way that God could save us because we could never be good enough. We could never do enough to earn salvation because the wages of sin is death and the goodness of man is filthy rags. So think about our salvation. When we go out this door, we need to tell people we've got a message that is so good that Jesus has done it all, and he's offering to you a gift of eternal life which comes by faith. Wow. Well, what have we seen? What are we saying? Well, the women came and they saw the empty tomb. Mary left to go get Peter and John. Angels tell the women that Jesus is alive. And Peter and John came and saw. And that's where we are. So nobody's seen him yet. They all, they, the women have been told by angels that he's alive. Mary Magdalene doesn't even know that. All she knows is she went and got Peter and John. And Peter and John say, well, the best we can tell is somebody got the body. Looks like because it's not there. Because they just don't understand it. Well, it's time. We're going to see the first appearance. It's to Mary. She's the one that ran to get Peter and John. Now, I want you to think about what has happened. Peter and John probably looked in there, came out, said, I don't know. I don't know what they did with the body. And they left. And Mary Magdalene didn't leave. She didn't want to leave. She may have said, maybe... Maybe we didn't look in there right. Maybe we didn't, maybe we didn't, maybe he's in there. Where could he be? And you know what she's doing? She's still there, but you know what she's doing? She's weeping. She's crying. Look what this says in verse 11. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. Now, let me tell you, the word weeping there doesn't mean like you're just crying, like you're, I got some sniffles, you know. This means wailing. It means she's like, oh, what happened to him? She's standing outside the tomb, and she's weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down, and she looked into the tomb. She, it's so sad. She can't believe it. What did they do with the body? And so as she looks down in there, she said, it says in verse 12, and she saw two angels in white, one sitting at the head, one sitting at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. She sees angels. These powerful beings. And look what they say. And they said to her, think about this. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Now, you know what they're saying? Why are you weeping? He's alive. We just told some other women. <laughs> I mean, why, 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 didn't you expect that he would be alive? Isn't that what he told you? Going to go to Jerusalem, be handed over, die, after three days rise again. Why are you weeping? And then she said to them, why? Because they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. He says, why, why are you weeping? And she said, because I don't, she doesn't know he's alive. She said, they've taken him away. She figured the Roman soldiers or somebody took him away. And, and look, she calls him my Lord, my, my, my deity, my God. I, and I don't know where they have laid him. Now, she's, she's really worried because she doesn't know what they did with the body. And she thinks maybe they, they've, they've taken the body and put it somewhere else. And, and watch what happens. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. And she did not know it was Jesus. Now, can you imagine? She's in there looking, and these two angels say, why are you crying? And she said, because they took the body. I don't know what happened to it. And she stands up, and she turns around, and there's Jesus. And she didn't know it's him. 
And some people say, why didn't she know? Because it, uh, it says that when she turned around, she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was Jesus. And some people say, well, maybe he, just like when, when it was on the road to Emmaus, those two people that Jesus walked with, he, that he fixed it where they didn't recognize him until he, he gave the bread to them. Or, or maybe it's that, that as she turned around, maybe the sun is rising and the sun's in her eyes and all she can see is kind of a shadow. Or maybe she's crying so much that through the tears, she just can't make out who it is, but she sees somebody standing there. Now, I'm going to tell you something. She doesn't think it's Jesus. In fact, it says she did not know that it was Jesus. And look what happens. When she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, she did not know it was Jesus. And look what he says. And, and Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Now, he asked the same question. Why are you weeping? And whom do you seek? And in other words, he didn't say, what are you looking for? He said, whom are you looking for? It's a person. He knows she's looking for a person. Now, let me tell you something. She thought that he was the gardener. And she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Now, she thought maybe that, that he was the gardener. Now, what we're talking about is there's this tomb, and this most likely in a garden area. Remember, Joseph Arathy was a rich guy. He built this tomb there, and inside there, there's a, a tomb. And she figured maybe that this was the guy that kept the garden, the garden clean and fixed and everything, and he's the gardener. And so she says, what did you do with the body? In fact, if you'll tell me where the body is, I'll go get it, and I will take it myself. That's what she's saying. She's afraid. She's actually afraid that they had taken the body to Gehenna. Now, you remember in the city of Jerusalem, there's the Kidron Valley, and at the lower end of the Kidron Valley, there was a place called Gehenna, which means the place of the fire, because the Gehenna was the garbage dump. They took all their trash. They took dead bodies. Of people, they took everything, and they burned it. It burned continually. Gehenna was the word for hell. When you hear the word in the Bible, Hades, and it says they, and somebody was in Hades, that doesn't mean lake of fire. That doesn't mean hell. Uh, Hades means the place of the dead. The Old Testament word is Sheol. The New Testament word is Hades. It means the place of the dead. But when they would say Gehenna, Gehenna meant the, the, it was a, a slang for what we would call hell or the lake of fire because it burned all the time. She was afraid they had taken the body and thrown it into Gehenna and just burned his body up. That's what she's afraid of. Let me, let me remind you of something about the tomb and how it all was, just so you'll grasp this, that when, when she was looking in there, those tombs, I'm going to make the tomb be like right here, that they could go into the tomb. You had to get down to go in, and then you could stand up. And usually in those tombs, there were these platforms. They were, they were made out of stone, and this is where they put the bodies and then they would anoint the bodies until they're bones. Usually in a tomb, there was a box, a bone box, probably about that big, and that had the bones of people that already died. So when the person had completely died and nothing left but the bones, they'd take the bones and put them in the box. The box was called an ossuary. And sometimes whole families were put in there. So if you had your own family tomb, most likely all of your relatives were in the box in there. Now, Nobody was in there with Jesus because if you remember, this was Joseph of Arimathea's tomb and it had never been used before. So there's no boxes or anything in there. And so she turns around, she sees Jesus. He says, why are you weeping? And she says, thinking, well, you're the gardener. Listen, just tell me where you put the body and I will come get him. Now watch the next verse. Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary, 
She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. See, he called her by her name. She knew his voice. She knew his voice. He knew her. Listen, you know how you know how she knew his voice? Why? Because Jesus is the great shepherd, and my sheep hear my voice, and they know me, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them. And one of these days, Jesus is going to say something to you, and you're going to know exactly who it is the moment he says it, because you're going to recognize his voice. You know, people can call us, you pick up the phone, and you go, hello, and as soon as somebody says something, you go, hey, Joe. You don't have to tell you it's Joe. You know his voice. And most of us all have distinctive type voices. And when you talk to somebody, I mean, there's a few people that sound a lot alike, but every voice is a little bit different. And she knew his voice. And he said, Mary. And she knew exactly who it was. And look what she calls him. She said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni. Now, the word rabbi means my master, and it came to mean my teacher. But Rabboni means like special teacher. And so uh, John kind of informs us. She turned, said, turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which, is, which means teacher. It, it, she knows exactly who he is. He is the one that gave to her eternal life. And, and look, look what happened. Now, you can't tell it until you get to the next verse. But she, 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 she grabbed him. Look what it says. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascended to my father, I ascend to my father and to your father and my God and your God. Her response was to worship Jesus. What is our response when we come together like this to, to see our Savior, Jesus Christ? We're here to worship the risen Savior. That's what we've come together, to worship. And I, I, I love this. this is, she fell at his feet. She fell at his feet. Now, he tells her, he says, stop grabbing on me. Stop clinging to me. Why? But I've not yet ascended. I've still got, I got other things to do. I've not yet ascended to the Father, but you go tell my brethren and say to them, I ascend to the Father and your Father and my God and your God. He says, go tell them what I'm doing. And by the way, this is a sort of the, Dr. Pentecost at Dallas Seminary said, such fellowship now, it depends on the fact that he goes to heaven, he ascends, and he sends the Holy Spirit so we can have that kind of relationship. But notice he says, go tell my brethren, that's the believers, that I'm going to my father, your father, my God, your God. This is a family relationship. Now, I want you to notice something. This is the first time that the believers are called brethren, brothers, family. See, the truth is this. When we believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, we're in the family of God, and the Heavenly Father is our Father. We can call Him Abba. John 1.12, as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in His name. All people are created by God, but only believers are children of God. Let me tell you, I heard somebody on the TV the other day said, all people are God's children. That's not right. All people are created in the image of the living God, and every person is valuable but not all people are children of God. Only those who believe in Jesus Christ are children of God. And he says, you go tell my brethren that I'm going to my father and your father and my God and your God. And what is Mary's response? She's going to tell the disciples. Notice verse 18, Mary Magdalene came and asked the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and he said these things to her. That's what she's supposed to do. So that's the first appearance to Mary. And she fell down and worshipped him. And then he told her, go tell others. Let's see the second one. Go back to Matthew 28. And we're going to look quickly at those three verses that we read. And we're going to see the women. You remember the women that were at the tomb? And the angel said that he's not here. He's risen just like he said. Now go tell everybody else. Mary wasn't there, but these three women were. And they took off to go and look at verse 8. 
And they left the tomb and quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. They, they, they feared with the angels, great joy about what happened. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and what did they do? They did the same thing Mary did. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Listen, it says he greeted them. The, the word greeted there means rejoiced. It literally says he rejoiced them. He gave them joy is what he did. He went, rejoice, rejoice, it's me. And they greeted him and they, and they, they looked up, they came up and they took hold of his feet and worshiped him. I put this, uh, that, that, same as Mary, I put this little thing because I just picture that that's the way we're going to be when we see him. We're going to just go over there and fall down and grab him and hug him and love him because what he's done for us. That's how we should respond. It says, and he said to them, don't be afraid. Go and take my word to the brethren, to my brethren. There he calls them brethren again, to leave for Galilee and they will see me. Now, let me just give you some quickly thing. They don't leave for Galilee right now. He's going to see them. He's going to meet some people on the road. He's going to go there that night. He's going to meet the group. He's going to come back eight days later and meet the group again. Then he's going to meet some of them fishing. And then he's going to meet them on the mountain in Galilee where he gives the final authority, which is found in the book of Matthew, and we'll see that. But he tells her to go tell they will see me. The two responses when they see the risen Savior, they fall at his feet to worship him, and they have the opportunity to proclaim and go tell others. What is our response to the risen Savior? It is to fall at his feet and worship him. We're not just coming in here to sit with other people and just, you know, go through the motions. We are here to worship the living God who died and rose again, and we should fall at his feet, and we should worship him, and then as we go out these doors, we should tell people about Jesus Christ. It is to worship and proclaim. So he says, don't be afraid. Go tell them. That's our message. So what have we seen? Jesus has appeared to Mary. She fell down, worshipped him. He told her to go tell. The women have seen him. They fell down and worshipped him. He said to go tell. And Peter and John, all they know right now, they don't know. They haven't seen him. They just know the tomb is empty. And most likely, they're thinking maybe somebody got the body. That's all that they know. Next time, we're going to see what happened to the guards. And we're going to see some more appearances of our Savior. So let's, let's end with some applications. Let's do this. Let's, let's respond to the truth that Jesus Christ is alive. Listen, when we come together on a Sunday morning, we're not just coming together. We're coming together to worship a risen Savior, the one that 2,000 years ago died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again. Jesus Christ is alive. So let's do this. Let's worship our Savior. Let's fall down before him, worship him. He is the one who died and rose again. He is the one that is worth everything to us. And so let us worship him, and then let us tell the good news. Let's proclaim to people the good news that he died and rose again. Remember we talked about the gospel? The good news message is two parts, the death and resurrection. A lot of people just say Jesus died on the cross. That's only half of it. He died and rose again. If we don't have the resurrection, we got nothing, and we see the risen Savior. We have come to worship the risen Savior. Let us worship him. Let us tell the good news. What is the good news? He died and rose again. What's the response? To believe in him. What's the offer? Eternal life. That's why John 3.16 is so powerful. Listen, it says, for God so loved the world that he 
gave his only begotten son, gave him to what? To die and rise, rise again, that whosoever would believe in him, that's the response, would never perish, but have, what's the offer? Eternal life. That's why John 3.16 is so vital. I was at the GES conference this last week, and I did a, a workshop. And they videoed it somehow, and it was on live. And somebody sent in a, a, a message that they were watching it online, and they asked me, what tips would I give about sharing faith? Or, and I just said, simply, I said, just make it as simple as possible. Just be simple. And I said, use John 3.16. John 3.16, that God so loved the world, that's us, that he gave his son Jesus to die and rise again, that whosoever anyone would believe in him, that's the, that's the response to believe in him, not works but faith, would never perish but have what? What's the offer? Eternal life. And so that's the bottom line, y'all, for us. Every one of us in this room know John 3.16, so every one of us in this room could easily share our faith without being afraid. So we worship him, and we go and tell. The second application, let's realize that by faith in Jesus Christ, we become children of God. We were dead in trespasses and sins, now we're alive in Jesus Christ, and we become his children. John 1.12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name. When we believe in him, we're children of God, and we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Jesus is risen from the grave. May we worship him, telling others the good news salvation message, knowing that whoever believes in Jesus Christ will never perish or have eternal life, and we will be become children of God.